Pianist Orly Shaham here, your host for today's From the Top podcast. Thanks for downloading. And if you like what you hear today, remember, we're a small, independent, non-profit organization. Please consider making a contribution to our efforts at fromthetop.org. On with the show! From NPR. It's From the Top. Celebrating the power of music. In the hands of America's kids. Hello, everyone. I'm pianist Orly Shaham, and what an honor and pleasure it is to be with you today and to return to host From the Top. This is something I get to do a few times a year, and each time I find myself deeply moved by the young musicians, and always in a slightly new way. They always have something surprising to say or something that enlightens me about music or just life in general. All that good stuff is coming your way right now. A big thank you to the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism for sponsoring today's program, recorded and produced in Boston. First up, this year's junior division winner of the Sphinx Competition, that powerhouse organization that champions Black and Latinx string players. It's a huge thing to win Sphinx, but this remarkable young violinist won it at the age of 12, the youngest ever. Kind of unbelievable. Her name is Amarin Almeida, and she's from Loomis, California. Here she is performing excerpts from Tsigan by Maurice Ravel. Wei Kong Zhang joins her at the piano. <laughs> Thank you. 
We heard 13-year-old Amarin Almeida from Loomis, California, performed Cigan by Maurice Ravel. Kong Zhang was at the piano. Amarin, your performance is so polished, so confident, <laughs> and at the same time so tasteful. Thank you so Thank much you. for bringing that. <laughs> Thank you. So you, you go by Ama, is that right? Yes. So Ama. <laughs> uh, tell me, I, I've been throughout California. I've played there for years and years, but I don't think I've ever heard of Loomis, California. Where is that? It's about 20 minutes north of Sacramento. And is that uh, like an urban area, a rural area? What is your what is your housing situation there? So it's, it's more of a rural area. We live on five acres. We, it's like a little hobby farm for me and my family. Wow. So what I mean by a hobby is it's mostly what me and my family do on the weekends. We have fi- five goats and about 40 chickens with three roosters. And wow. we also have a garden and fruit trees and a fat barn cat. <laughs> I just love all of that. I, would, I <laughs> wish I could live there with you. <laughs> so did your parents choose that outdoorsy life for you because that's the way that they grew up? Well, my parents played a lot of video games when they were younger, so they chose more <laughs> of a country life for us so that we could get outside and play with our animals, get fresh air. And I have three brothers, so they need to run around a lot, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, free-range brothers. Yes. <laughs> Despite this crazy pandemic year that we've all had, you actually managed to have some serious musical excitement this year, too. You won one of our country's most prestigious competitions. Can you share what that was? So um, I was the first prize winner. I won the first prize and also the Audience Choice Award in the 24th Annual Sphinx Competition. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there because first prize I get, but you won the Audience Choice Award, but there was no live audience, right? (laughs) So it was virtual. It was this past January, and honestly, it was a really wonderful and great experience for me because I learned how to communicate with an audience through a virtual platform. And I actually put pictures of my friends and family in the audience seats like they do in baseball (laughs) games. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) nice. So I I listened to your prize-winning performance and I... uh, it was delightful, and I'm so happy to hear that you played a Mozart concerto because yes. I, I happen to love Mozart <laughs> so much. And I was hoping that we could get a little bit into your Mozart for a second. Is that all right? Sure. Yes. So first, just so we remind ourselves of which of his wonderful concerti you played, here you are playing The Beginning. That's the famous opening statement of the third violin concerto in G. You play it so beautifully, but I was also really impressed that at the age of 12, you composed your own cadenza for this performance. Can you remind everyone what a cadenza is and what it does? 
So a cadenza is a moment in the piece, usually at the end of each movement, where the soloists can be creative and just express their ideas and improvise a little bit before the conclusion of the movement. I want to just play back some of this cadenza. Here's how it starts. You seem so natural playing around with Mozart's ideas in your fingers like that. (laughs) What was that process like for you? It was a really fun experience for me, and it was a little bit challenging because you always want to respect the composer's ideas and his wishes, and then I put my ideas in there as well. So I take little bits of his concerto, and then I always play it on my violin. It's easiest for me to just try a little bit of this and try a little bit of that. And then I just put some arpeggios and some trills, and I'm really glad that I did it. <laughs> well, it worked out beautifully. Thank you. You know, and it's it's so effective when you play. What you really do, which is is so special, is that you really play and communicate between the notes and from one <laughs> note to another. And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was really fun. Amarin Olmeda, 13, from Loomis, California. If you subscribe to From the Top's podcast, you can download whatever episodes you want and listen on demand. They're available at fromthetop.org. For the last 15 years, From the Top and the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation have awarded over $3 million in scholarships to talented young musicians who have financial need. We still have more to give. Go to fromthetop.org to learn more. The 17-year-old bassoonist up next is just a wonderfully open and accessible person. The kind of guy that, when he walks into a room, he immediately puts everybody at ease. His name is Samuel D'Amico, and he definitely put me at ease when we performed the second movement of Sonatine by Alexander Tanzmann.
The second movement of Alexander Tanzman's Sonatine, performed by 17-year-old bassoonist Samuel D'Amico from Portland, Maine. I had the pleasure of collaborating with Sam at the piano. Sam, I love your playing. I love your tone, your lyrical singing approach to this. So gorgeous. And it was such a pleasure for me to get to know this piece. Thank you for bringing it. Oh, thank you. And thank you for playing with me. It was beautiful every time we rehearsed it. <laughs> thank you. So I just mentioned that you're from Maine, but these days you're a boarding school student at the Walnut Hills School for the Arts in Natick, Massachusetts. Yeah. And I understand that discovering Walnut Hill and deciding to go there was a pretty big emotional moment for you. Yeah. So I never really imagined myself to go to private school, nonetheless boarding school. Mm. And my mom, right. she even, when I was younger, she ran a blog called like the, uh, the life of a public school mom. And it was just <laughs> her telling all about my public school adventures and her being in the PTA meeting, stuff like that. But I, I guess I started really getting into music uh, in fourth or fifth grade. I mean, music had always been a part of my life, but that's when I started really like wanting to pursue it as much as I wanted to pursue like math and science and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And my mom ended up finding Walnut Hill. Uh, and she just said to me, like, we should just go check it out. Like we should go to the open house and see what it's all about. And I just went for her. Like I was like, oh, whatever, it won't be much. And I'll just go to my public school, play in band there. Right. Uh, but I ended up coming for the open house in October. And as soon as I got on campus, I just like fell in love with everything, with mm. the people, with the atmosphere, with just everything about it was exactly what I had imagined. And I ended up getting in the car, crying, being like, I need to come here, mom, Aww. like, please. And I applied, got in, and ever since I've been here. Amazing. You found where you belonged. Yeah. You know, they're very clever to do those open houses right when fall foliage is at its most beautiful. Yeah, they? it was. Now that I've realized that I've been here for four years, it's very is very strategic as you get more focused and serious about playing your bassoon i know you've been wrestling with the whole identity of being a classical musician or even the definition of classical music that's something i think about all the time mm -hmm. so what are some of your thoughts about that yeah it's it's interesting because right now uh at my school all seniors have to take music history and we had to talk about this in quite in depth what it means like classical music and I remember we defined it as uh, music that's notated and that has structure and it's usually orchestrated, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I feel like nowadays it's kind of thought of as more like old school and more just very rigid. And like you go to the opera house and you wear a tuxedo and you like right. listen to these musicians play. But I... What I hope that people can see is that classical music is such a broad term for so many different ideas and so many different expressions and that classical music has kind of evolved from that into something Absolutely. much more progressive and much more interesting, I guess. I love that you're pursuing that idea. And maybe a good question to ask yourself is, what do you want other people to get out of this music that you're getting out of it and that you're loving so much? I hope that people can get out of the, well, at least what I get out of m classical music is just the freedom of expression and the 
emotions that mm. we feel that don't have words for them. That's something I'm super interested in is the yeah. idea of there are so many emotions that we feel that you cannot describe in words. Like, Well, you know this wonderful story of Schumann who played a piece of music and somebody asked him afterwards, what does it mean? So he went back to the piano and played it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your emotions with us so beautifully and such terrific communication. I know I'll be seeing more of you in, in some context or another, mm-hmm. but I, I hope it's not yes. too long before that happens. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Sam D'Amico, 17, from Portland, Maine. Pianist Orly Shaham here, returning to host today's From the Top. And like Sam, our next young performer has also taken on a leadership role at her school, not only helping to lead her classmates in music, but also by creating a community-building podcast that gets students talking about issues happening both at school and in the greater world. We'll hear about that in a minute, but first... Here she is performing Fantasie, Opus 79, by Gabrielle Fauré, yours truly at the piano.
17-year-old flutist Lauren Kim from Ridgefield, Connecticut, performed Fantasie by Gabrielle Fauré. Orly Shaham here, and I had the pleasure of being at the piano. Lauren, I love your playing. It's so woodwindy. It's such a wonderful feeling of floaty, and I love the way that you were able to be so flexible in all of our rehearsals. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. You as well. And in learning about you, I was fascinated by all the ways in which you've taken initiative in your young life and been <laughs> entrepreneurial. Uh, and apparently you've had a great role model in your mom. What sorts of things has your mom done that inspire you? She's definitely a risk taker as well as an entrepreneur. Um, she immigrated to the U.S. 21 years ago with my dad to raise me and my sister. Mm -hmm. um, and she's recently also started her own skincare business, um, which was a big risk, leaving a stable job and kind of starting something on her own. Um, and it's kind of inspired me to take different paths, things that we may not expect and the things that might not automatically lead to success, but um, big risks that will teach you a lot of important lessons along the way. That must take a lot of energy around the household from her. Yeah, the whole basement, it's filled with skincare things. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And one of the entrepreneurial projects that you took a leadership role in, which I'm so fascinated by, is podcasting. Oh, yeah. What was the project and what got you into it? Um, at my school, I was really inspired to create more uh, connection in the student body as a whole. And through this podcast, we were able to um, showcase other students' interests and their opinions um, through this platform. So we collaborated with um, some other clubs, including the No Place for Hate Committee. Mm -hmm. We were able to highlight how global issues like prejudice, microaggressions were applicable in our own community. Fantastic. And speaking of your interest in community, you worked on a piece of music recently that really opened up your thinking regarding music's position in the greater culture. Here's the piece that inspired you. What are we listening to? Um, this is the Sixth Bagatelle of uh, Ligeti's Six Bagatelles for Wind Quintet. What did this piece do for you? Um, we played this piece uh, as a chamber group at the Juilliard School's pre-college division. Uh -huh. And then when we got this piece, looking into its background um, and realizing that that Sixth Bagatelle had actually been banned due to its kind of dangerous nature. Uh -huh. And that really helped me to kind of be more of a risk taker and learn how to show more of those emotions when playing. Fascinating. And the, such rhythmic complexity there. I actually yeah. use this piece for my children's show because I think children are so ready to take that in in a way that for us later on, it becomes too, almost too complex. And Ligeti is always playing with that line between oh. what's noise and what's music. What is it that interests you there? Um, well, I actually took an ethnomusicology class, and we discussed a lot of really important things about kind of the nature of music as a whole. We discussed the difference between music and sound. We discussed um, how different cultures have used music to make their lives better and to make other people's lives better. Um, and one thing we decided was that music is sound with a purpose, whether that's um, to, mm -hmm. to have an impact on others or to make some kind of social statement, um, that's the difference between just making sound and actually making music. Yeah, it's really all in the intention. I hope you keep this intellectual curiosity for your life and the flute as well. Thank you so much for sharing them both with us today. Lauren Kim, 17, from Ridgefield, Connecticut. Thank you so much.
Daily Joy. Couldn't we all use a bit of daily joy in our daily routines? Well, if you sign up for From the Top's Daily Joy video series, you'll have incredibly joyful, minute-long music videos delivered to you daily. Sign up at fromthetop.org and cheer up. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from the Jack Kent Cook Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need. JKCF.org. From the Volgenaw Foundation, supporting programs that protect the environment, educate children, and promote classical music. And from the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing a transformative approach to justice that is community-led, restorative, and racially just. Learn more at publicwelfare.org. From NPR, it's From the Top, celebrating the power of music in the hands of America's kids. Today, pianist Orly Shaham returns to host From the Top, and in the next part of the program, Orly introduces us to a teenage piano duo from South Carolina. We'll hear them perform a spooky and bombastic version of Danse Macabre by Camille Sansons. Today's program, recorded and produced in Boston, is sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. Orly Shaham here, and as part of my journey to Massachusetts, I met Selena Betu, an excellent 17-year-old violinist from Shaker Heights, Ohio. She was in Boston because she has just begun to study at the New England Conservatory. I collaborated with her to perform a powerful contemporary work called Peace by one of today's most interesting composers, Jesse Montgomery. So, Selena, I asked from the top to ask you to learn this piece. Thank you so much for learning it. Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. Can you tell our audience a little bit about the story behind it? It was written during the pandemic. And um, I think throughout the piece, you can hear... Um, kind of how it morphs between the different emotions involved when you're trying to cope with sadness and anxiety and just go through something very difficult and come to peace with it. Yes. Um, so I think everyone, uh, it's a very personal experience for sure when you play this piece or when you hear it in concert, but I think everyone can definitely relate. Absolutely. Let's hear Jesse Montgomery's Peace.
17-year-old violinist Selena Betu from Shaker Heights, Ohio, performed Peace by Jesse Montgomery. Orly Shaham here, and I joined her at the piano. Selena, it's such a pleasure to make music with you. You're so flexible and intense and deep and willing to be in the moment and, and access emotions that are so very difficult to access. So thank you so much for that collaboration. Really a pleasure. Well, thank you. I mean, it's an absolute honor to be on From the Top and to play with you. <laughs> As musicians, you and I think about sculpting sound and shaping musical phrases pretty much every day. But in reading about you, I learned that you are a huge appreciator of silence. Yes. Yeah, it, it seems rather unusual. When we think about music, we think about sound and how we hear it. And um, for me, actually, I've come to appreciate that perhaps we could view this sound as a manipulation of silence because there's always a basis in silence. What's the closest you think you've ever gotten to complete silence? Well, uh, I was able to actually visit one of the caves in Virginia, and we went very, very deep under the ground. And our guide, and it was a fairly small group of people, our guide um, then decided that it would be okay to turn off the lights and af ask everybody to be completely quiet. Mm -hmm. When she did that, and when no one spoke or moved one muscle, it was almost jarring for me because at that point there was no extra noise at all not even the electricity because it was completely turned off and also to be enveloped by the darkness so then that's when the ears kicked in without having the vision and it was loud in some ways mm -hmm. which seems ironic because we always use that kind of dynamic um, vocabulary for sound but it was so loud and it was so, it was filled with so much potential energy. It was almost like buzzing around all of us. But at the same time, there was nothing. It was mind-blowing for me. Yeah, very powerful. Of course, rests are essentially the silences in music, even if sometimes they have other sounds still lingering. Is there a moment in peace that gave you that feeling of being contained in the silence? Yes, absolutely. Um, in this uh, measure, in the piece, uh, it would be a little bit more standard um, to just start on the beat. But uh, what Jessie Montgomery does is she extends the rest to almost an uncomfortable degree. Yes. Let's play it so that we hear it first the way we might expect it, and then with that extra pause that Jessie has put into the music. Here it is the way Jesse wrote it. Yeah, that's just haunting with that longer silence. Selena, thank you so much. Thank you. Selena Betu, 17, from Shaker Heights, Ohio.
The young performers on our show are so impressive, sometimes you've just got to see it to believe it. And that's pretty easy to do, actually. Just go to fromthetop.org and check out all the fun video we put out every week. Not only do we have photos and video of our young players making radio with us, we've got our Daily Joy video series, virtual concerts, raucous pop music covers, and more. That's at fromthetop.org. Orly Shaham here, and for our final piece today, we get to enjoy some piano acrobatics with a piano duo from the Greenville area of South Carolina. They are Jennifer Senta, who's 18 years old, and Jean-Shuo Zhang, who's 16. Through a Zoom call and a high-tech audio connection, I met them and watched them perform. Jean-Shuo and Jennifer, welcome to From the Top. Hi, we're so happy to be here. Thank you for having us. And thanks for bringing such fun music to play. Jean-Chuo, introduce what you two are going to play, and can you share with us a little bit about the story here? Absolutely. So, Dance Macabre by Saint-Saëns. And then Dance Macabre means the the dance of death. And so, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the piece, you will hear 12 bells representing hitting midnight. And that's when skeletons, the dead, starts coming out and starts dancing and partying. (laughs) And then at the end, you will hear the sound of a rooster. And that represents morning is here. And then we will all go back to being dead again and being asleep again. (laughs) When we spoke to you both about the challenges of putting this spooky piece together, you talked about this one section that's really hard, but also thrilling to get right. Jennifer, can you describe that moment for us? Of course. So Jean Chuo is just having a huge run. He's going all the way up the piano chromatically while I'm going all the way down the piano chromatically. And it's just this really <laughs> intense, thrilling moment. It's incredibly nerve-wracking, and it's so thrilling when we get it right. Why don't you guys try it once? Let's see if you can nail it on the spur of the moment. All right, let's try again. (laughs) All right, I'm getting into my most ghoulish mindset. (laughs) And whenever you're ready, let's have a little danse macabre.
Danse Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns, performed piano four hands by Jean-Chuo Zhang, 16, from Greer, South Carolina, and Jennifer Senta, 18, from Simpsonville, South Carolina. Jean-Chuo is one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. I'm watching the two of you play together, and there are so many complicated musical things that you have to work out. With two serious pianists sharing the keyboard like that, you must disagree sometimes. <laughs> How do you work stuff out? So um, we sometimes, definitely, we sometimes have um, disagreements and arguments. And we would record ourselves and listen back to what we played and decide which one's better, which version of ourselves is better. Jennifer, do you have any special techniques for working things out? Um, I'm a licensed pro at arguments um, because I get in so many with my brother. <laughs> so I think it's nice because I kind of see Jean Chuo as a little brother of sorts, but we don't get in as many <laughs> arguments um, and we can always work it out. That diplomacy will serve you well in life. <laughs> so you, you both bring an individual style to the duo, but you share a, a really interesting common musical experience regarding how you started the piano. It's actually similar to mine, which is you both begged to play. <laughs> Jean Chuo, what made you want piano so much? Back when I was about three years old, there was just a wooden box sitting in my house. And I was told not to touch it. I was not allowed to touch it. And then whenever my dad walks by, sits on it, plays it, it comes out to be beautiful sounds. And I just was mm. wondering, what is that box? And so I begged my mom to allow me to play with that box and then I promised her that I will continue to play it forever and I'll make it my friend. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, Jennifer, was it kind of a forbidden fruit story for you too? Um, not too much of a forbidden fruit story. It was more um, my brother started playing, so I wanted to start playing. We had these like huge boxes full of CDs of like a bajillion different mm. composers so I was already immersed in that classical music um, so my brother started taking lessons and I got extremely jealous so I begged my mom <laughs> to start teaching me and she did. Thank goodness you guys were exposed to music early you developed a love of it which will last you your whole lives. Thank you so much Jean-Chuo Jang and Jennifer Senta a four-hand piano duo from South Carolina. Thank, thank you. you. And that brings us to the close of the program. I want to thank Ama, Sam, Lauren, Selena, Jean Chuo, and Jennifer, our young musicians today, for working so hard to prepare for their performances and for sharing their ideas and stories so generously with us. And of course, I want to thank you for listening. I'm pianist Orly Shaham, and I hope you'll come back next week for another inspirational From the Top.
From the Top is written and produced by Tim Banker, with post-production mastering and editing by senior producer Tom Vagley. Our music director is Megan Swan, and the production manager is Matt Dykeman. David Norville is assistant producer. Sound design and editing by John Escobar. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. I'm Joanne Robinson. Special thanks to Lisa Kaiser and engineers Tom Disher at Disher Sound in San Francisco, John Weston at Futura Productions in Boston, and David Robertson, technical director of Studio Amario, New York. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. Our regular host and pianist, Peter Dugan, is sponsored by Susan and Gerald Slavitt. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From Indeed, a hiring platform that connects businesses with candidates. Indeed partners with businesses to help attract, screen, and interview from one place. More at indeed.com hire. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org.